I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. I'd say don't be afraid. Go ahead make mistakes, take it one day at a time, just let out all the stops, be whatever you can be. I think uh, for, for myself, I did a lot of self-editing and I was not raised by a bold mother. She was a very shy person. And so she was constantly watching her back and she was just scared of what people might be saying. So, uh, you know, that's how I got raised. And I was afraid maybe I'd be criticized. And now I know you're going to be criticized no matter what. So you might as well just go out there and play. Good day, good people. My name is Brad King. You are listening to the Downtown Riders Jam After Party Podcast, which is part of the Solid Listen Podcast Network. I'm literally going to have to replace this sitting chair because uh, it is squeaking all the time. And I feel like at some point I'm going to like lean left or right and it's just going to break. If that happens, I promise I'm leaving it in the program. We are coming to you from deep inside the jam bunker today, primarily because it is uh, a thousand fucking degrees outside. Um, And going outside was terrible. It was a terrible idea. I took a walk uh, and came back covered. I mean, covered like had to shower and change. 
and then looked at my phone and it was 105 degrees in the heat index. So I put the air at 74 and it still feels too cold in here because outside apparently we live on the sun now. Other than that, things are great and I hope they're great for you too. And today on the program, Colin Kersey is here talking about, uh, well, his latest book is Swimming with Angels. This is his second book. But we just had a lovely chat. As you know, this program, After Party, is my weird-ass hybrid Q&A conversation thing. And he's delightful. He's delightful. And someone who came to writing later in life. Uh, And I always love talking to people like that. Like, if you listen to the program, you know. I tell people all the time, finding your voice is is the hardest part of being a writer, and it's the most gratifying part. And taking that first step to doing that is a big deal. And now this dude's working on his third book. That's pretty good. Uh, so he lives out in California, Southern California. So it is not the sun out there. It is that like 70 degree bullshit that we all hate them for. Uh, he works as a global PR manager. Um, he's a graduate of the University of Washington. Uh, Western Washington University in the novel writing program at Stanford, which hurts my cow bear heart, but good for him. Uh, working on his third novel, and his work has been mentioned or featured in all kind of places, um, including Kirkus and Publishers Weekly, which are both really cool. So I think it's he's a it's a fun conversation or it's a fun Q and A. He's got some good stories, and he's like a super humble guy, and he's just. You know, he's one of those people that's just like you're, you're talking to him and you're like, God damn, like you're just nice. Like, I just want to talk to you. Like, just a nice guy. Before we get to that, you know, we got our business. So this is the after party. That's our weird Q&A. We got the jam session, which is our nonfiction show. Those are both short form. And those come out on Mondays and Fridays. And the jam, the big one, that comes out on Wednesdays. A couple things for you to do for us. Uh... Head over to Apple Podcasts if you've got an iPhone or iPad. The Writer's Jam Facebook page. Otherwise, leave us reviews. And more importantly, totally peer pressure your friends and listen to this show. Like, tell your reader friends about this. That's the best thing you can do for us. You know, on our website, a billion things to do. You can read book reviews. You can buy books through the bookshop link. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can sign up for our Apple Podcast subscription. For all the shows on the Solid Listen Podcast Network, four ninety nine a month, you get all the shows commercial free. You get them before anybody else. You can also sign up for our Patreon for a dollar or five dollars a month. You get that same deal plus some bonus content, which is always nice. Malls and Nicole crank things out. I don't even know where they have the energy for it. It's crazy. They're insane. But as always, I appreciate you taking some time to uh, spend about a half hour, 40 minutes with us here in a bunker. I always appreciate that. And I hope that you will sit back today on this hot ass day with a cold drink in your hand and enjoy my conversation with Colin Kersey. Why do you write? I thought uh, reading these books like Treasure Island and so forth and imagining uh, being able to create your own magical world would just be the coolest thing ever. So then you get older, you're reading 
people like Steinbeck and Hemingway and so forth and seeing how they can put truth on the page. And that also, that was very moving to me. So I really wanted to do it. And so as I kind of waded into it, and it's funny to me that as I started out writing, like in high school, I was too shy to read my stories in front of the class. And they were usually a giggle. They were very funny stories, but I, I would have to pay other kids to read them. So anyway, so that's how I started. When I got into college, I would always major in something that would hopefully make me money, but then I'd do a creative writing minor. And the creative teachers that I had, poetry and fiction, would always tell me, you have a gift, but I still didn't see, I couldn't put it together. How do you actually make money from this? Oh my gosh, you got to write something, you know, a hundred thousand words, which is maybe a million or many times that decisions. And then you put it out there and you don't know if anybody's going to buy it. So that was very scary to me. So I did a lot of start and stops, finally got into advertising and marketing to hedge my bets. But I, but I never quit wanting to be a writer. And so little by little, I kept nibbling at it. I was like sneaking up on it from the trees in the forest until finally I just jumped in the pool. The forest was coming to the castle. Right. <laughs> do you remember what was the moment that you said, yeah, I got to do this? Like, I got to do this. I think it was uh, meeting this writing teacher, Elizabeth George, fantastic writer. She's New York Times bestseller and has been so for 30 plus years. Her first book uh, won all these awards. And I met her after I moved to Orange County. I took a little community college writing class in the evenings and she was teaching it. And that was really a star-crossed event for me because she was such a good writer. She ended up becoming a mentor, which, you know, if, if you ever find a mentor in a business like writing or art or music or whatever, you gotta, you gotta go with that. So I did for several years, I took her classes she introduced me to the largest professional writing club in Orange County at the time. And so, and then another thing that happened, I, I signed up for the Squaw Valley Writers Conference and it was there. I took about 150 pages and I got called upon to read in front of a crowd of people in this home up in Lake Tahoe. And I got a standing ovation afterwards. And the guy who led the class said, if I was buying stock in writers, I'd buy stock in you. And the next day, I literally had an agent following me around. She didn't sign me, but she gave me the encouragement that I needed to, damn, I might actually be able to do this. Yeah. It's funny how those small things for writers convince you after a lifetime of not thinking that it's a thing, right? You just need the one push. If you, I think yeah. if you really want to be a writer, you're looking for that thing to say, it is okay to do this. Yes, absolutely. There's too much fear involved for at least myself. I admire those young people that just, 
they write a novel by the time they're 16 or whatever. Oh my Lord. <laughs> That's great. All right. So this is, this is my favorite question to ask writers. Uh, I usually do it over drinks at a bar uh, because we don't like to say this in front of our readers and other people, but what's the question, the one question or statement that people say to you about writing that drives you crazy. What do you usually say to those folks, but what do you really want to say? <laughs> So what's funny, Brad, is that uh, this sometimes happens in bars where we'll be talking about writing and people will find out I've actually written a few, couple of books and they'll say, you should write about me. <laughs> and I will always say, well, why is that? And I'll say, because I've had this amazing life. It would just be, you know, the best story ever. And <clears throat> What I'm really thinking is, well, how come you're not in jail? Because I've never heard of you. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I can't like that happens. It does. It happens in bars. All, as soon as some the two questions people ask you, have I read anything you wrote? To which I'm always like, I don't know what you've read. Like, yeah. I, like I, how, the, how the hell am I supposed to know that? And oh, you should write about me. Like, right. I, you know, I think everybody's fascinated except the people that say that. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I'm always interested in the people who are like, I'm not really interesting. I'm like, oh, there's a story there. Yeah, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. You're, are you afraid a skeleton's going to pop out of your mouth if you say something? Because that's the that's, one. I'm... I think that's usually the case. <laughs> so writers, everybody has that one review. Right. Like that one review of a book or a story or something that you wrote that you just remember. Doesn't have to be professional, just the review that somebody had about something you wrote. What's yours? So I'd like to kind of segue that because the reviews that I recall have actually been quite generous and nice. I've really I've been very blessed, but I had a very funny thing happen with the radio interview earlier this year, which um, interviews are not my thing, really. I write fairly well. <laughs> Speaking is kind of a challenge sometimes. Anyway, so because I'm on the West Coast, these interviews, typically, if they're on the East Coast, they take place at 7.30 or some weird time in the morning, which means I have to get up by 4.30, have some coffee, get ready for this thing. So I don't know what went wrong. It could have been allergies. It could have been, I, I've got this, um, this speaking impairment anyway. So on the best days, I have a little bit of trouble getting my voice out. But this particular day, I could not speak. I could only squeak. And so I sounded like Donald Duck or one of those squeaky toys you buy for your dog. I don't know how the interview came out. I was too embarrassed to go back and listen to it. <laughs> That's funny. Do you read like Goodreads and Amazon reviews and things that people write? I do. I uh, every now and then I'm kind of startled sometimes by what people 
pull from a novel. I'm always uh, thrilled when it's something good. But, you know, sometimes people just, they have uh, their own opinions, very subjective. I don't know where they're coming from. And you can get, you know, a, a one star and then all your five stars or four stars or three stars get dragged down, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. But on the other hand, hey, that's part of the deal that comes with with the whole biz. So you get somebody some bad with the good. Somebody told me a story of getting a one star review because that, that somebody bought a paperback and it was folded. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Yeah. They were like, the book was fantastic. The cover was folded one star. I was like, man, that that feels like the Internet to me. That's the Internet in a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. So you can't control for stuff like that. You know, the pages could have been misnumbered. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, and who? yeah, that is not a book. It's not a book cover review. Yes. <laughs> so what's the best writing epiphany that you've had and how did it come about? I have had a couple of actually really great epiphanies, but um, one I remember especially is I had, I was attending Squaw, or not Squaw Valley, but um, a university course, Stanford online novel writing. And the teacher who was a published author assigned us the task of writing from a different character's perspective than we typically would. So it wasn't our main character, but she this, thought this was a good way to look at your book in a different way. And so I wrote a scene in the voice of this young blind woman, Valerie, who is depressed and grieving for her mother who died of cancer 10 years earlier. And writing in her point of view just opened my eyes. Really, a little explosion went off in my head. And I said, I've got to make this girl one of the main characters and give her a speaking voice in the book. So I did. So instead of just being written from the point of view of the lead character, Gray, I also included Valerie, who has her own scenes where she speaks. And to me, uh, what's going on in the world today, especially, I keep reading things about the mental illness, especially among young people, and especially among young women. And so uh, it was, I don't know, I feel, first of all, very challenged to write in the voice of a young blind woman, my goodness. But second of all, to take somebody who's grieving and is emotionally going through hell. Uh, I mean, you can't do anything much more challenging than that for me, but I needed to do it. It was important, I felt, not just for the plot of the book, but for people reading it, that if you're thinking only of yourself, if you don't have time to look at the person who's standing next to you in the line at the grocery store or in the desk next to you, the cubicle or in your workspace or whatever, you may be missing an opportunity to say something nice to somebody that makes their day, makes their week, maybe even changes their life. So 
I don't know. I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, got the answers here, but I think every all of us can do just a little bit to make this world a better place. There's there's a lot of weird stuff going on now, and uh, it's not hard to find if you're in the media or social media, you can just make yourself crazy. So let's all just, you know, be a little kinder to each other and look for somebody maybe having a bad day. Thinking back on my own life and what fiction does, allowing you to embody, literally embody, because these are not real people, right? They're only real once in your head, you pull them off the page and see the movie of what the author's writing. And I think that it really does. I think it is the first place where empathy is developed because we're literally outside of our body. You can't read and be in your body. This won't make sense to most people, but I think fiction is more real than real. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I completely understand what that means. All right. Last question of this segment. Um, and it sort of ties back to the first one. But to you, what does it mean to be a writer? Like when you say you're a writer, like what does it mean to be a writer to you? First of all, I try to avoid saying I'm a writer. It sounds kind of pretentious and precious to me. So, and I feel like I'm a very middle-class working man, you know, take my lunchbox to work, you know, put on my ball cap and my my old work shoes. So it, it means really being a working man, being driven to write, even when you're facing rejection. I had an ex-wife who hired a psychologist to tell me I would never be a writer. It just was too difficult to do, and I needed to give up that dream. <laughs> so anyway. It's, Hard to believe that one didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's facing a lot of rejection from writing groups and agents and publishers but it means sitting down to write even when facing that rejection and the words aren't coming easy and you just feel like you're out in the wilderness hacking at the weeds and can't see where you're going don't know if or when you're going to get through into a, a clear spot it also means giving up sports. You know, I, there's no way you can play three and a half hour rounds of golf every day and still be a writer. I mean, I don't know of anybody that can do that or even watch a lot of sports on TV because you've got to be putting the time in on the page. So there's a lot of things you have to give up. But it also means having this incredible faith that no matter what, you're doing what you were designed to do. And however it works out, it's it's going to be fine. It's exactly what you were designed to do. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back. That was the writer portion of the show. Then we're going to do um, what is my whole favorite portion, which is the you part of the show. So we'll be back in just a second. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. 
With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Uh, we're back. As always, you missed my favorite part of the show, which is the sh- part you don't get to hear. Uh, but now we're on to part two, which is um, all about the writer. So tell me, what makes you the happiest? I'm a pretty simple guy. So spending time with nice people, discovering new places, listening to music, and travel. I've been fortunate through my advertising and marketing career to get to travel to not only the United States, but Europe and Japan. And so I've been to a lot of countries, both professionally and and personally, and I love that. I love to explore. I love, I've walked all over cities, all over the planet, which is just a great way to watch people, to study the architecture, to get a sense of a culture that may be quite different than your own. And I love that. Just, and finding a little shop, whether it's selling, you know, yogurt or something or some antique hookahs all that stuff is just very fun to me i love having my horizons broaden that way i will tell traveling has been the greatest thing in my life like i'm very lucky i was a professor for a long time about 10 12 years and my writing partner lives in germany so the day school ended i was on a plane to europe and I just fortunately through my life as a magazine writer, I had friends through Europe. So I would spend three months bouncing around. I don't know if I did maybe one or two tourist things, but like I did a lot of what you just said, like I'm gonna go sit in this cafe for three days and write and read and just talk to everybody that comes through here. And it was always the most amazing thing because it's both different and not. 
and you begin to get the sense that like the world is only big because we think it is. Right. And what my greatest trick was to walk three blocks up where the tourist areas were. It takes a minimum of three blocks and suddenly you're in the real country. Yeah. You know, yeah. the you know, the prices are totally different than they are in the tourist section. Yeah. The people are totally different. It's just it's it's real versus kind of the tourist sections, which now tend to look like every place you've ever been. There's a gap store and you know, Apple yeah. store and whatever else. So you need to get off those major thoroughfares and just head inland for a few blocks and suddenly it's it's new and different. Yeah, I always tell people major capital cities all look the same and none of them look like the country. Like New York is great. And I realize that's not our capital, but it's our big. That doesn't look like the rest of America. When people are like I've been in New York, I'm like, well, you've been in New York. Like you haven't been to like get, get off and uh, go to Iowa and let me know how you do in Iowa. Exactly. <laughs> like, so in your adult life, what is the most profound way that you've changed? I've learned to be more productive. In football, they call it moving the chains. And that's really what I try to do every day, move the chains. I think uh, when I was younger, I'd look for excuses, whether it was anything to stay busy rather than write. But now I get up with this energy and passion to get started. So I spend a few minutes with coffee and the paper, and then pretty soon I'm gravitating towards the computer and I start work. And it's great when it gets going by 7 a.m. and then maybe 9 a.m. take a break to the gym and then get back here and get going again. So, so being productive is one of the things. And also, um, I'm still learning this, is just to be patient because Gosh, I used to just whenever I was in a crowd of people and the conversation wasn't going anywhere, I particularly thought it should. I was edging towards the door and I've had to learn that that wasn't being an especially nice person. So I'm, I'm trying to learn patience and to be, you know, a kinder person that way. So my wife wants me to stick around sometimes. <laughs> on the computer you know when you're young at least when i was young it was i was a hundred thousand miles an hour all the time and i thought that was being productive and now i sort of realize i'm way more interested in people that let things breathe and it's like that conversation you were talking about because sometimes you just need people to find their way into a thing and once they find it then you get some shit that nobody else gets and those silences and those things are oftentimes productivity that we don't think about, right? Like this yes. that we don't control. Yeah, when our brains get spinning too fast, sometimes it's a bad thing. We need to unwind that a little, just let it slow down. It's like a you know, a digital clock. You just need to bang it once and get <laughs> yeah. re reprogram yourself. Yeah. I also for me with productivity, I've realized that sometimes. 
the body needs to recover. Like when I was young, I did write prolifically. I wrote every day, all the time, all the time, wow. all the time. I'm impressed. And well, that's a part of the reason I quit Wired. It's part of the reason I left journalism was because if I wasn't working at my job, I was working on these other projects. And I never, I think it was emotionally and mentally very unhealthy because I never gave myself time to just take a breath and take a walk. You know, and uh, I thought I was making diamonds with coal and I was making TNT. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember who was I read recently that said, oh, yeah, OK, it was Cloud Cuckoo Land. <laughs> and, and Anthony Durer is talking about how it takes a lot of naps. And, you know, I think as a writer, it's good to give yourself permission to do whatever it takes to give your brain a little rest. Yeah, you, know, you just can't be going 100 miles an hour all the time. Yeah. And you talked a little bit about this one earlier. So this may be the same person or maybe somebody new. Tell me uh, the story of a time a parent or a mentor or a friend or an event influenced your life in a way that you sort of look back on and go, that was a moment. Back in the early 70s, I was a college graduate with two degrees, and I was working as a warehouse manager for a large discount department store. And I was very frustrated, because I had this creative writing background. But the largest word any of us used at that time in the warehouse was about four letters long. And so <laughs> I was thinking, maybe I should be doing something else. And I literally spent four and a half years in this warehouse. The Vietnam War was going on. And everybody in the warehouse that worked with me was also a college graduate. And we were actually making pretty decent money at the time. We were union workers and so forth, but I just wasn't happy. So I, I contacted somebody I'd heard about who was in Mars, and I asked him what it would take to get into the field of advertising and marketing. And he said, well, I know you have two degrees, but you probably need to go back and get another one. And this was not what I wanted to hear to have <laughs> stop and, you know, push the restart button and go back to the beginning. But I did. I was in Seattle. So I, I signed up to the University of Washington. And my class in marketing was taught by a man, Lee Bartlett, who was the vice chairman of the Colin Weber, which at the time, I believe was the largest agency in the West Coast. And he addressed the class on the first day by saying, there's 22 of you here. And based on the size of the marketplace, only one of you is going to make it as a career in marketing. Wow. And I literally had this out-of-body experience. I'd never had one before. I knew he was talking to me. So I began, of course, I earned good grades and I pestered him until he agreed to hire me as an intern while I took classes and until I graduated. And my professor at the time was uh, a control freak. He was very irritated that I managed to get an internship without going through him. So he knocked my grade down to a B which I graduated from the university with straight A's except for this one B. But you know what? It's 47 years later, I'm still working in advertising and marketing. So. That's pretty good. 
That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that that was a great experience. So tell me the story of the weirdest or most interesting or coolest person that you've ever met. Doesn't have to be a celebrity, to be anything. Just that story where you met someone, you're like, oh, here's here's a cocktail party story. Oh, I don't know. I, I re remember buying Amy Tan a drink at the Squaw Valley Writers Conference. That was kind of fun. You know, That's pretty you good. Know, yeah, you don't get to do that stuff every day. Did so. you get to talk to her? Uh, for just a little bit, yeah, but she was busy. I didn't want to monopolize her time. Going back to Elizabeth George, you know, she was really just um, a brilliant person. And I told her once, I think she could write her novels back to front and they would still read. You know, she just, her grammar was incredible. And so her taking me on as a student and then mentoring me, really meant a lot. Again, it was it was having somebody kind of trust you that obviously knew their way around the business. And so if they said, hey, I think you can do this, well, that just meant a lot. So she was not weird in any way, shape, or form, but she certainly was a, a very bright, helpful, and cool person who helped, you know, my career path. Yeah. I mean, that all everybody defines those words, how they define them. <laughs> I don't, I don't have an agenda. What I ask, I'm always just interested where people go with like, Oh yeah, here's a story of meeting somebody that got me. Um, here's the last one. And this is your writer. So I hope you got a good one, but there's no pressure on this. Uh, what's your favorite story to tell? I could tell you, Brad, about cool things I've done, like climbing Mount Rainier or nice writing a video and producing it with John Voigt, the Academy Award-winning actor and stuff like that. But really uh, the story that I, I don't like to tell, but I have to tell is something I didn't do well. I was working for a small advertising agency in Cerritos, which is south of Los Angeles. And I lived at the time in Huntington Beach. I was newly married, had a, uh, I believe, a one-year-old child. And the people that I worked for at this agency were really lovely people. And one of them called me one night out of the blue. It was like a Sunday night. And she said, I'm, I'm down near you, I think. Would you mind if I drop by? And I thought it was strange because she was married and, and lived in West Los Angeles. So this was a couple hours from where she lived and she was all by herself. And I said, sure, come by. So this woman stops by her home. My wife and I chat with her for an hour or two. And she said, thanks and left. And the next day I found out she had driven south to Laguna Beach and taken her life. Oh, my God. And it, it stunned me because I didn't see it coming. I had no idea that this lovely woman was evidently going through some emotional trauma and that she would end her life maybe an hour or two after dropping by to see me. So I became hyper aware of looking 
at people and wondering what was going on in their minds. I mean, literally, when I meet you, when we talk, when when I'm at neighborhood functions, whatever, I'm analyzing people. And so I took this kind of information and that's what helped me write about Valerie, this wounded young woman who's cutting herself and is suffering grief from the loss of her mother 10 years earlier. And I, as I've said earlier, I think we all need to be very cognizant of what's going on around us. So it's made me, I think, a better writer, but also maybe a better person. Although, like I said, I'm kind of about this. So I, I may be I may be digging too deep sometimes. <laughs> well, this has just been, uh, that is a, it's funny. Like I'm always interested in that story. That last story that writers tell, because it's all, it, it, that's the, that's the one that buries the most, right? Because that really is the thing that resonates in people's life. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, and this has been, despite our technical difficulties, which for those of you listening, you don't know, but we've had them. Uh, this has been quite lovely. Um, you are a delightful, delightful person. Um, so if I understand it, there's your first book was Soul Catcher, correct? Yes. And then the the, the second one was Swimming with the Angels. Right. And then is the th- are you done with the third one or are you writing the third one? I'm right in the middle of it uh, right now. Don't tell us what that is. I don't make writers talk about stuff they're writing about. I feel like that's bad um so you can get but you can get those first two novels right now but swimming with angels came out last year you were one of the pandemic books correct well i appreciate you taking um 30 or 40 minutes to indulge us in this ridiculous little affair that we do here oh i love it brad thank you so much it was a pleasure delightful i told you he's delightful that was Colin Kersey. His book, Swimming with Angels. It's one of those pandemic books. Came out last year. I can't wait to read it. I hope you can't either. I just, I am telling you what. Malls and Nicole always talk about the Solid Listen Podcast Network as being this kind place on the internet. And man, I'm probably the grumpiest. I'm probably the least kind of all the folks, right? Like, if you listen to the show, you know. I'm a positive person, but I can be grumpy too. And I, t- I get someone like Colin on the show and I'm like, ah, God damn. Like, I just want to be a better person. Like, he's just so nice. It was so fun to talk to him. Uh, it's fun to re-listen to the episode. Swimming with Angels. That's the book. So before we get out of here, a couple of reminders. Make sure you leave us a review either at Apple Podcast or at the Writer's Jam Facebook page under the Reviews tab. Do it. It's homework. This doesn't cost nothing. The other thing you can do is tell your friends about us. Tweet that shit. Send your friends an email. Text them. You know, don't bug them, but, you know, bug them. While you're at it, there's 11 other shows on the Solid Listen Podcast Network that you should be checking out, including the flagship Mother May I Sleep With podcast with host and our Solid Listen Podcast queen, Molly MacLear. I'll be on that show later in August. I think it's Lifetime movies. Those are the ones that I know anyway, that they watch. And there's a commentary through the whole thing. It's a lot of fun. When I'm working out, I'll sometimes put those shows on. 
Don't forget, we got three programs on this network. The After Party, which you just listened to, and Jam Sessions, which is our nonfiction discussion show. Those are out on Mondays and Fridays. The Jam is out on Wednesdays. All on this network, that thing you're listening to right now. The surest way not to miss anything is get your ass subscribed. And remember, you can always catch us on Twitter and Instagram at The Writer's Jam. Until the next time, I will see you around the internet. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.